0: Thou will arise to a new
1: world. Well good evening from Los Angeles, California. This is Michael Benner. Thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully you're with us live, although we are going to podcast this again this week. And um so you will have an opportunity to come back to the same web page to hear the replay or to download a podcast from the iTunes store or listen to the replay streaming through Stitcher or pretty much any other app. There are a number of them. I like Stitcher. It works well for both iOS and Android phones. This is the Fearless Intelligence self-awareness and leadership seminar. Now, I'm going to talk a little about what all of that means. What is fearless intelligence, besides the title of a book that I'm writing? What is self-awareness? Well, I think we got a pretty good idea what that means. What is leadership? You know the meaning of the word, but how do we do that, especially in this day and age? What this seminar that I'm going to continue to do in Sunday evenings at 7 o'clock Pacific, live, is uh, really designed to do, uh, my intention, in response to a number of requests that I've had to do this since the election,
2: is provide a non-political, emotionally intelligent exploration of responses to the situation, to the social anxiety, to the
1: grief and loss, to the horror and the anger, <laughs> and the sadness, the depression, and even a phenomenon called psychic numbing, which uh, I guess that, you know, although that's not discussed very much, I think we know that what it means. And <clears throat> certainly Washington knows what that means. The movers and shakers and opinion makers and the media, they understand psychic numbing. They like it when we're walking around in the daze sleepwalking like you know there is a reason i think these zombie tv programs are so popular i think people recognize themselves and there's a feeling that many of our neighbors are walking dead they're zombies they're going through the motions the jobs they hate uh to earn money to pay bills for things they don't really want that then break down and you have to repair it and replace it and i mean all my life and probably all of your life you've noticed this uh conversation i'll say about a treadmill existence or being in the the rat race or the hamster wheel but what's the
2: alternative
1: especially when we feel so uh At effect, so victimized by the situation we're in. And that's what self-awareness is about, waking ourselves up first. Like, hello, good morning. Am I alert? Am I awake? How awake am I? How aware? How alert? And then the leadership what can we do to wake up our friends and neighbors? And I don't mean to persuade them that they're wrong if they disagree with us.
2: I'm not talking about grabbing them by their uh, uh, lapels and shaking them violently until they come to. I'm
1: talking about emotional intelligence, and it begins with self-awareness. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm just foreshadowing what the hour is going to be about. I want to remind you that uh, although I see a board of phone callers here as well as a number of people on the web all with us live, this is uh, Sunday night, December 4th, 2016, I know most of you are bashful. And may not want to participate, but during the second half of this hour, I really would love it if I could engage a couple of you or more in some conversation, if I could get some questions or comments from you. If you're on the web, you can't do it unless you're using web call. And uh, yet, if you're on the telephone and you'd like to do that, you'd like to participate like an old-school talk show on the radio,
2: you just press star 2 on your telephone touchpad. Do it one time, and I'll
1: get the alert. If you do it more than once, you're going to turn it off.
2: <laughs> so, star 2, one time, now or later, will let me know that you have something to say. Excuse me, I'm going to take a little sip of water here. Well, I think the best place to begin, if I can still call this the beginning of the show, is to
1: celebrate the victory at Standing Rock, in case you hadn't heard. There are reports out of uh, North Dakota that the Army Corps of Engineers has decided it it is not going to grant the easement
2: for the oil pipeline to be built through those sacred lands. And uh, not because they're sacred, and not because the federal government is concerned about the quality of water in the area,
1: but because the election is over and all the media's attention, I won't say all, some of the media's attention now is turning toward the six-month protest. And because hundreds and some reports say even thousands of U.S. veterans have traveled to the area to protect the indigenous people and their supporters from being assaulted and attacked by police using rubber bullets and fire hoses in sub-freezing weather. What in the world are they thinking? You know, police complain about not being respected. (laughs) Whose side are you on? If your job, it says right on the police car, protect and serve,
2: who are you protecting and who are you serving? In a situation like standing rock, and I know there have to be a lot of
1: police officers, municipal county deputies,
2: others state troopers go on but the hell, whose side are we on and
1: There's got to be some rethinking, not just about tactics, but who are you protecting and serving? I think we need the police to protect demonstrators because we're in for at least four years of significant demonstration. I know it. I can feel it in my gut, and I feel it,
2: more importantly, in my heart. Feelings I haven't felt since the Vietnam War era. You know, the funny thing, speaking from personal experience anyway, for me, the big shift, the big shift in my attitude about the war and, and feeling certain that I was right about opposing the war in Vietnam, which expanded into Cambodia and Laos, illegally and morally bombing Cambodia, was when U.S. veterans of that war led the marches
1: in Washington. And when we marched, I went to Washington twice, 500,000 strong, half a million people, I slept at the base of the Washington Monument. I swear to God, at the great experience, one of my life's peak experiences, I slept at the base of the Washington Monument.
2: We just took over the city, not much the police could do. But we marched behind the
1: veterans who had been in the war and came back and said, This is nonsense. This is ridiculous. This is absurd. This is wrong.
2: We're not defending anything on the other side of the world. And again, here it's happened again. It's veterans who, I mean, Custer would
1: freak if he saw. Veterans,
2: soldiers standing side by side with so called Indians, indigenous people, against the establishment. And it's just a beautiful bonding
1: or brotherhood of conscious, self aware people. There's that word again self aware. Self aware people, conscious
2: women and men saying no to racism, saying no to bigotry, xenophobia, attacks on the First Amendment, and certainly the threat to
1: our ecology and very life support system, as if monopoly capitalism is suicidal
2: by its very nature. And many of us would rather live than be rich. We'd rather breathe clean
1: air and drink clean water and eat healthful food
2: than have $10 million in the bank. Get our priorities straight here. So it's a very exciting day, very exciting evening uh, to know that. uh, According to reports, anyway, uh, we wanted Standing Rock, in the freezing cold for month after month after month, while all this ridiculous
1: electioneering and campaigning was going on and Donald Trump was making a
2: fool out of himself.
1: Another thing I wanna talk about is what I mean by non-political. Just as you could talk about philosophy outside of religion, we can talk about current events outside of politics. What makes my approach non-political, and I hope you share this, or even to the extent that you are politically active, understand. What I'm saying here is that I don't see political solutions to political problems. Politics is the problem. It starts with money and corruption, and it's not going to change. The, the Democrats are not going to save us. I said that 40 years ago on the radio. <laughs> and, you know, there's some Democratic
2: bigwig. Is not going to pull up in his limousine and rescue us. The solutions are not political. The solutions are, I believe, a matter of conscience and consciousness. Y'all know what your conscience is, right? Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide. The part of you that knows right from wrong, the part of you that is ethical
1: and moral, the part of you that recognizes love and sometimes disgust at the world and its condition and the way people treat each other,
2: it's directly related to self-awareness and consciousness, conscience. It's a funny word, it's
1: got science in there. It's really con-science, with science.
2: (laughs) Not sure why that is, but we call it the conscience. And many have said, that's the voice of your soul, the voice of your higher self, of your eternal and
1: infinite essence, that still small voice that stands
2: above and behind The negative ego. Now, your egoic nature, the part that we
1: all know so well, is the voice in our head that's constantly criticizing us, self admonishing, telling us we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we don't deserve it, we're going to screw it up. Even if we do get it, we're going to lose it. Nothing works, everything stinks. I was listening to a Bob Dylan
2: tune today. I really like Everything is Broken. It's a funny story. I, did I tell it last week? I don't think so, about the little boy that finds
1: the stinky cheese in the refrigerator and sees his grandfather sleeping on the sofa, and he rubs the stinky cheese on his grandfather's mustache and then quickly steps out of the room, but he's peeking around the corner as his grandfather begins
2: to wake up and says aloud, though to himself, this room stinks.
1: Then he gets up and he walks into the next room and he says, it stinks in here too. And of course, it's only when he looks in the mirror that he realizes the source of The rotten smell and when our neighbors and our friends are negative and they tell us everything is broken, everything stinks, everything is corrupt. Remind them gently and kindly and compassionately that we've learned that reform begins with ourselves. If it seems that everything stinks, turn within,
2: look at yourself. And see, what can we do to redeem that way of thinking, to be more kind and more considerate in the way we behave? Another item I wanted to touch on briefly as we, uh, as we open the program tonight, we're already 20 minutes in, though. As a response to an email I got this afternoon from
1: England, where uh, it's two or three in the morning when this uh, live event begins, and so
2: she told me she listened uh, last week to the replay and that she wanted to be with us tonight, but would listen to the replay of this program also.
1: So she sent me an email this afternoon talking about other people and what she could do to change the minds of other people, to influence and persuade other people to fix them. And I said uh, in my response that I appreciated her intention, but I thought she was misguided. At least my intention in this weekly seminar
2: is to talk about personal development, what we can do to improve ourselves, and then take what we've learned as leaders to those people who are interested. And she wrote back rather defensively and said, well, I think there's a lot we can learn about ourselves from other people. And I I just sat in my chair for a couple of minutes and thought about that. Learn about ourselves from other people. And it reminded me of
1: my youth when I thought my self-esteem came from other people. And I put my self-image, my identity, my whole sense of self up for a vote. And everybody
2: had input except me. I was the only one that couldn't contribute because I'd be biased.
1: (laughs) I I was the only one that didn't have a vote because I would like myself if I did. Then our need as children for approval and acceptance and love is so great and so rarely fulfilled that as adults, we continue to petition other people for love and acceptance and approval how am I doing? Am I okay? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I will you love me? And we waste
2: our entire lives petitioning other people to accept us and love us. And we're living backwards, absolutely backwards. When a drop of water hits the pool,
1: the ripples don't go from the outside in. They radiate from the inside out.
2: And you are also, every one of us, radiating from the inside out. We have nothing more
1: to offer other people than what we know about ourselves. Starting
2: with the fact that we're unique. We are individuals. And so first we have to know ourselves and then offer what we've learned to
1: other people. I often say selfish people put themselves first and then behave in selfish ways, but enlightened women and men put
2: themselves first and then behave in charitable, kind in philanthropic ways. And of course, the reward that comes back, the karma,
1: the instant karma, the wonderful feeling you get from offering freely something to other, others without needing
2: anything in return, even acknowledgement or gratitude. You just can't put a price on that feeling. That's why people become teachers and nurses and and
1: there were a number of service professions where people know they're never gonna get rich. <laughs> you know, They didn't go to school to get a degree and a master's degree in education to be a school teacher because it wanted great wealth, and I don't think that occurs to a lot of wealthy people, to some of course, but to a lot of wealthy
2: people, it just never occurs to them that there might be an option. And again, I don't think wealth, prosperity, abundance, is the enemy or the problem. May we all be prosperous and wealthy and enjoy abundance. But when is enough enough? And when does it begin to destroy the character of a human being? At
1: what point does it corrupt our sense of harmony with humanity and turn us against
2: so that we live in an either or world rather than a you and me world. That's the only problem with the love of money. You know, the admonition is not money is evil, it's the love of money. <laughs> right. So I wrote back to this woman finally and. Uh, a second
1: time, and suggested she might want to rethink that, that the wisdom of the ages is know thyself, but I've never heard a sagacious woman or man urge us to study other people, the great wisdom of the ages,
2: judge others, (laughs) but know others that you might figure out who you are. But I understand that she may feel that way. I think that's the way many of us are raised, and that's the society
1: we live in. We're looking out at other people, judging other people to a large extent to see what they think about us because we
2: have no idea, and we'd rather understand ourselves indirectly than directly turn within and face the truth, the beautiful truth, the magnificent truth of who we really are. And also, who's ever taught us how to do that? You know, when Plato said 2,500 years ago that know thyself was inscribed over the oracle to Apollo at Delphi, he didn't say, and here's how to do it. But the great sages have always known about contemplation. Now, who has
1: time for that today? You have to schedule in your day runner, in your calendar, unscheduled time. <laughs> you know what I mean. You have to schedule quality
2: time. To contemplate, introspect, uh, reflect. I was going to say
1: ruminate, but that usually refers to negativity and why me. And,
2: and meditation, mindfulness meditation, just without attempting to do anything, just sit back, take a step back, and Watch your monkey mind do its silly little dance and put a little grin on your face and chuckle, knowing that you're watching this mind, but you're more than the mind. You're not the thinker. You're the
1: watcher. You're not emotionally bereft. You are the observer
2: of your emotions. And that's a critical concept, a really important concept. So those were some of the points
1: I had on my agenda again uh love to go to the telephones here. uh we have many many more people listening
2: live on the web than calling by phone and Probably at the end of the day,
1: 90% of the people that will hear this program will be listening to the podcast or the replay on this web. Uh,
2: Again, this very web page that you're on now or that you went to to get the phone number is the same
1: web page you want to come back to for the replay or iTunes or
2: Stitcher or some other streaming app Google Play it's all out there so let's try to do this start
1: two on your phone if you have a question or a comment and uh, I'm going to go to Massachusetts to Springfield Massachusetts and see if I can bring Jonathan online Jonathan are yeah, you I'm there? yeah
0: right hi I'm actually in Amherst Massachusetts but close by all right so yeah thanks um for taking my call uh, so I just first, I want to say there was some other positive news today that I heard from my brother, who was in Sweden, that in Austria, uh, they reversed the trend of electing uh, right-wing populist nationalists for presidential race. The Green Party candidate, 72-year-old man, won over the uh, right-wing populist candidate for president, which is not as strong, of, is not as powerful a position as prime minister, But it was the first, like, kind of reversal of, um, you know, the right-wing trend worldwide.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, uh, because uh, the media is so bad in the United States, especially television news now, that we don't get much world news. And many people don't realize that this Trump phenomenon is global, at least across Europe. It's more than Brexit. Uh, There is a... uh, surge of nationalism or white supremacy or, you know, France for the French and Italy for the Italians and Germany for the Germans. And yeah, yeah I had heard that uh, a couple of days ago that the white wing candidate, the nationalist in Austria was expected to win and that today it appeared that he did not win. So That is good news. How do you get world news, Jonathan? What do you do to inform yourself when, I mean, do you read newspapers or news magazines or get it from the Internet or watch the BBC or what's your... Well,
0: I like, I love, I mean, um, a couple things. One, uh, the BBC I do love, Uh, you know, on NPR, there's a show that comes out actually out of Boston called The World that's on every day. In the afternoon, it's it's uh, nationally syndicated, but comes out of Boston radio program, and um, and of course the BBC is also nationally syndicated through through uh, NPR. And, um, and I've lived abroad, and my brothers lived in Sweden all his adult life, and uh, so I have, and my sisters lived in Europe most of her life, and I've lived in Israel and so forth. So I have, you know, kind of an international perspective.
1: I think that's great. Americans are known around the world for being really provincial and you know that decades old ugly American thing where, you know, we go out with the plaid cargo shorts and the camera and the binoculars and you just scream American and this I mean I'm generalizing obviously. There are a lot of wonderful American tourists, but you know that that generalization of uh uh Amer- what do they call it now? American exceptionalism. Right? They don't call it superiority, but American exceptionalism. I don't know why we have to be first. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a Well we thought fan.
0: we were gonna be able to avoid we thought we would be able to avoid fascism and anti democratic uh trends here, you know, um, because of, because of checks and balances, because of, you know, many other things, because of the longest constitution in the world, you know, the longest living constitution in the world. But um, we can see where a guy like Trump can trash many, 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 many fundamental democratic values.
1: Yeah. And uh, I guess part of the surprise in all of this is how Willing people are to accept it. I'm still stunned. Uh, I've been a journalist all my life. I did personal development for the second half of my career, but I was a full time journalist and, until I turned 40. And I think of Americans as being pretty smart and pretty well educated. And then all of a sudden, Maybe it's not all of a sudden. I just maybe I wasn't paying attention. but suddenly the the gullibility and uh, I saw a, a person on uh, a news program the other day a, qu- a quick news clip, and the journalist was asking her, "Where did you hear the news that Barack Obama said illegal aliens could vote?" And she said, "Well, everybody knows that. Just Google it; it's on Facebook." <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute! Doesn't how could how could you not know that anybody could put anything they want on Facebook, much less that there are well-funded organizations that are deliberately floating false news? How could you not know that? How could you use Facebook is a news source. I was talking to somebody uh, this week about the comment from the Trump people that there's no such thing as facts. And what was the other one? Oh, words have no meaning. Corey Lewandowski said, words have no meaning. Words are not important. Why do you take Donald Trump literally? He does not mean anything that he says. And then this other shill said, well, there are no facts. Nothing's real. It's what you know, it's all subjective. And the handful of people I had exchanges with about this were to a large extent really defensive and saying, well yeah, I mean, of course it's all subjective and and I think what they really meant was this. And it blows me away. I don't really know what's happening in that regard, and sometimes I feel like I'm having a dream, like I, I, this dissociation. I wake up in the morning and I think Donald Trump is the president, and I just still can't get my brain around it. Yeah. So, with that, do you have any final comment, parting shot?
0: Like uh, um, I. I disagree with the thing about being able to learn from other people i I had a great learning experience today with a with a close friend who's got a uh, a quite um a lot of similar intellectual background to myself but has a very different temperament and personality type than myself and um uh and and i every time we get together and uh and deal with some issue. Maybe of his or mine, you know, kind of his peers and friends. Um, I learn a lot because of it, because of his simply because of his very different temperament.
1: Yeah, well, let me be clear. I I understand that, and uh, be arrogant to say we have nothing to learn from other people. What I was talking about was you can't learn about yourself from other people. Other people could stimulate some insight, but a big part of personal development rests on the idea that we are largely undiscovered, that each of us is unique, and we have fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of our individuality, like pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. They're integral, they're essential, and each one is unique. And yet I can tell you as a personal development guy, that the vast majority of people are terrified to know themselves. And so they do it indirectly and inadvertently and don't really ever develop the self-awareness or break through the veneer of fear that we have about how inadequate we might really be. And So that self-discovery is not going to come from others, though others will perhaps stimulate some of it. And then there is what I hear you saying, oh, yeah, we could learn about uh, all manner of uh, things uh, outside of the self, uh, the world around us, from our friends and neighbors, people that uh, uh, share their opinions with us, that inform us, and no question about that. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay.
0: You're and welcome. Let me
1: ask you one question before you run. You're in Massachusetts. How would you find out about this uh, event?
0: A friend of mine is on the line, too, uh, who's from Southern California, and uh, but is in Massachusetts right now, uh, Robert. But I, I lived out in the Bay Area for nine years, and I lived briefly in Southern California, so I miss California a lot, too. Well,
1: thanks. I should say something really nice about Massachusetts.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love Boston. Thing.
1: Yeah, uh, 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 okay. I really enjoyed Cape Cod.
0: <laughs> well, the Berkshires yeah. are fabulous. Uh, the, the best place in uh, in all of New England, I think, is the Berkshires, where okay. Tanglewood is, and all that stuff, and Kripalu, and you know, all that kind of stuff right. is out there. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank, thank you, you John. Yeah.
1: Thank, thank you. you. Man. So, okay. uh, all right. So, uh, see, that's not hard. And uh love to hear from anyone else who has a comment or a question. And uh, simply press star 2 on the handset.
2: Do it one time. If you do it multiple times, you'll turn it on and off and on and off. Well, we've got about 15 minutes left in this hour so, unless or until I get another volunteer, I'm going to talk about emotional intelligence
1: and introduce this whole concept. I think Jonathan gave me a real good opportunity there at the end of the call to
2: explain this Idea of self discovery. And my assertion that most people are not only uninterested, but terrified to really fully understand our uniqueness or individuality.
1: And then, even if we were interested and wanted to just dabble a little bit, just stick our toe in it, go up to our knees, you know, not dive in,
2: but wade in slowly, how would we do that? And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of foreshadowing here, not with logic.
1: <laughs> you you're not going to figure yourself out
2: with your thinking or there'd be some evidence that that worked by now emotional intelligence is
1: different from mental intelligence and what we call IQ
2: or intelligence is essentially mental That's all we're taught, and your thoughts are largely objective and have little value when it comes to understanding yourself. So we have a second intelligence,
1: emotional intelligence, which is essentially subjective, dedicated to knowing yourself. Nobody feels the way you feel
2: emotionally. I mean, we say, I know how you feel, but come on. <laughs> you know, At the end of the day, you really
1: can't know that you know how they feel. And often, if you say that to somebody,
2: they feel discounted anyway. You don't know how I feel. You can't know how I feel. Well, all right. People like being told, I understand how you feel. They're a little more resistant when you say, I know how you feel. It's
1: sort of a funny distinction between knowledge and understanding. We'll talk about that on another occasion, I'm sure. The hierarchy of data, information, knowledge, and understanding. And how, how information is more than data, how knowledge is more than information, and how
2: understanding is more than knowledge. Well, you? Well don't often think about that. There is a a wonderful saying,
1: I'm not sure who gets the attribution for it, but it's like a 400 year old, 500 year old saying, what good is knowledge without understanding?
2: And yet in school, we're taught knowledge. As if you're supposed to open the top of your head and pour
1: in knowledge, but understanding Educare
2: means to draw forth. Understanding is drawn forward from the student. Usually when a teacher has 8, 10, 12 students, you can
1: do that. You give a teacher 35 or 40 students, they're
2: going to pretty much be stuck with pouring the knowledge in. So. You're never going to understand yourself very well. You're not going to discover much by logic. Let me say it this way see how this strikes you. What you think of yourself doesn't really matter much. How you feel, however, about yourself and how you feel about others in the world around you, aha, now. That's the essence of subjectivity. So use your
1: thoughts primarily to know everything in the world except yourself. It's sort of an 80-20 or a 90-10. There's a few things we can understand about ourselves with our thoughts. But mostly thoughts are objective. We're about the world around you. And again, you turn them within, think about yourself. You're just going to get a lot of self criticism, beat yourself up. Internal arguments. Emotions, on the other hand, don't you see? Emotional intelligence is subjective. It's 80 to 90% about you. And when you try to use your emotions to
2: understand other people, that fails.
1: He made me angry. So you use your anger to understand the person that made you angry. You're not going to get very far, and I'm sure you've noticed. We, <laughs> somebody makes us angry or hurts us or insults us, irritates or frustrates us, humiliates us, and we obsess
2: on the stimulus. Rather than having the awareness, there's that word again,
1: to realize that emotions are responses to what's happened to you. They
2: come from you, not at you, and are rich indicators of who you are. So you're not what you think of yourself so much as you are what you care about. That's worthy of writing down. You could you
1: could put that on the wall over your desk. I am not what I think of myself. I am what
2: I care about. I am what I love. I am who I love. I am that I love. I'm not what I think of myself more so much as I am what I care about. What do you care about? What do you? care about? Well, I care about racism. I hate it. It drives me crazy. Racism is a crime.
1: Even the people don't do anything except speak in such horrible and divisive ways,
2: it leads to cruelty. It leads to heartache. It leads to suffering. It leads to war. We turn an earthly paradise into a hell. All because as a result of not understanding yourself, we fear anybody who appears to be other than. So all racism, all race hate is ignorance. All fear is ignorance. All
1: ignorance leads to fear, there's a vicious cycle there.
2: What do you care about? That's a negative. How about what do you care about in a positive sense? No, I care about nature, walks in the woods, smell of the pines, beauty of a flower. I care about little animals like the
1: baby ones, puppies and kittens and fawns and little baby goats and baby rhinoceri. (laughs) The
2: babies, Uh, speaking of babies, maybe you care about little baby children, right? Hopefully you care about your job. Wouldn't that be far out if what you did for a career Was something you loved to do? That every morning you could wake up, pop out of bed, and really look forward to hitting the bricks and going to
1: work and getting to do something you wanted to do all of your life? And then the question is,
2: if that's not the case, then why not? Did you settle? Did you decide you weren't enough? or weren't willing to risk it, simply because you didn't know yourself very well, because nobody told you that you are far more than you
1: appear to be, and the way to discover that is not to think about yourself, but to open your heart. This is what self-love is. Self-love is not
2: some egoic, aren't I cool, aren't I far out? It's, I'm unique and I don't know what's in here. Some good things,
1: some bad things, but a whole lot of things that could be redeemed
2: and refined and developed and expressed out into the world in beautiful and creative ways. Self awareness that's where emotional intelligence begins. Particularly, an awareness of how you feel emotionally. Now, fear is carried, fear by any name,
1: anxiety, stress, tension, is carried in the body as
2: tension, which is a kind of armoring that has this This uh, odd
1: tendency to prevent you from feeling very much at all. So, the more frightened we are of feeling our feelings fully
2: and completely, the less we feel, which creates more fear, more physical tension. Now we're even more numb and less likely to discover who we really are and more likely to. Ape other people, I want to be like him, I want to be like her. I want their life. Oh, I wish I could have careful careful what you wish for. You've got a life. might want to check it out. The second part of emotional intelligence is learning to manage. I almost want to say control, but that word carries some connotations I find distasteful. Let's say manage those emotional feelings to mitigate. Impulse control in certain situations and assertiveness in other situations. When to hold back and when to step forward. And when to substitute equanimity for reflex, to
1: substitute well reasoned, even tempered responses for knee jerk reactions. So
2: these are intrapersonal skills, and these are the first two parts of emotional intelligence. Self awareness, particularly of your emotional feelings in your
1: body. They're called feelings. They're not in your head. They're
2: they're in your body. Feel your feelings, self awareness. And two, manage those feelings. Equanimity is even tempered, well uh, level headed. Feel the balance, even tempered. Level headed. Balance in emotion, even tempered. Balance in your brain, (laughs) in your thinking, level headed. It's like the center of the pendulum.
1: You don't want to repress your emotion, but you don't want to allow yourself
2: to be run by your emotions. And so you've got to balance. You do that with breath and a gentle
1: intention. You breathe, you relax. That letting go feeling releases tension, fear, anxiety, and stress in the body, and opens you to expanded
2: awareness. Now you're more likely to understand. And then the second two parts, there are four parts to
1: emotional intelligence. The second two are interpersonal.
2: And that's basically social awareness or empathy and relationship management or leadership. So when we talk about this weekly seminar here as being about self-awareness and leadership,
1: we have the intrapersonal in self-awareness and the
2: interpersonal in leadership, but the order is important. You can never do, well,
1: I shouldn't say never. Rarely are, <laughs> are we able to do anything for another person that we cannot do for ourselves. Even the amount of love you have to offer another person
2: is determined by how aware you are of self, self self-awareness. The more self-aware you are, the more you understand your potential, the more you have to offer other people, and the better leader you can be. We'll talk more about that in the future. And also what I mean by fearless intelligence. Most of you can probably guess what that's all about. If fear restricts and contains and disables intelligence
1: via muscular tension, then feeling safe
2: and relaxed is going to expand intelligence. Fear makes you stupid, relaxation makes you smarter. You never had a great idea when you were stressed out. Like the middle of an
1: argument with somebody and you suddenly are thunderstruck with (laughs) with this brilliant insight. Never going to happen. But when you're in the shower or taking the dog for a walk or meditating or sitting in the lanai out in back, watching the rain
2: gently fall down through the trees, that's when the light comes on. Oh, my Lord. Hey, thank you very much. I want to especially thank uh, Jonathan in
1: Massachusetts for having the courage to st- <laughs> step
2: forward and be the first caller. At least we know the system works. I have to remember to refresh all of this. And, um, I will take a look at the text
1: questions. We have lots of text questions that I just didn't get to, but uh I will review those, I promise, and uh either send you an email in direct response to your text question or perhaps even make reference to them next week. Next
2: week right here
1: Let's let's see, 7 and 4 is
2: 11, so Sunday, December 11, let's meet. Let's hang out. Live, if you can be here. Have a wonderful week. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Mary Kringle, by the way. This is Michael Benner, so long from L.A. Thanks. Thanks a lot.